0: We turn in God's word then this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we return to Rephidim as the follow-up. Paul uses Rephidim as one of the examples by which we are to learn and we are to be instructed. First of all, that instruction coming to the church there in Corinth in the midst of all of the worldliness, there's probably no other church uh, in the book of Acts that is presented with such an ungodly environment as the church of Corinth, Uh, having traveled There, and having taken the tour, and hearing about what was taking place, and seeing the temples that surrounded it, what took place at those temples, it was nothing but pure evil. Nothing but pure evil. And yet, in the midst of that pure evil, God had his people. God had his covenant people. But they too are very tempted. They too are very torn. It wasn't like, yeah, we're God's people, we got this all figured out. No, there were problems, there were struggles, there were difficulties. And so Paul is addressing those struggles. And so we read of that in light of the world and the age in which you and I live in as well, needing to, once again, learn the lesson of Rephidim. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's hear the very breathed out word of God to us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate, to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market in the meat market, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat what has ever set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this word. As we read in the beginning of the chapter, may we thirst, may we hunger for that food, for that drink that is Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we partake of that, that we may not be tempted, that we may live lives that are pleasing to you. May we seek to do what is right in your sight, and may we read your word, and may we understand how we are to live, that your name is honored, your name is glorified. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So two things this evening from this passage. First of all, these things as examples. These things as examples. And then secondly, the limits of our freedom. The limits of our freedom. These things as examples. In verses 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is is stressing a list of things that have happened. A list of factual events that has taken place. Taken out of the Old Testament, taken from the story of the Exodus, taken from the time period where we were this morning in the book of Exodus. Four things. He speaks about the fact that all our fathers were all under the cloud. This is the presence of God once again that is being spoken of. All pass through the sea. He's talking about the dividing of the Red Sea and the Israelites passing through. He's speaking of the fact that they all had the same spiritual food. He's speaking about the manna that God gave and provided for them. And then fourthly, he uses that example that they all Drank from the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That was Christ. My wife and I were talking this noon and I said one of the things that I read about in this particular passage is that there, there are actually some folks who when they read that pas- this passage and it says the rock followed them, they actually believe that the rock at Horeb followed them through the desert, All the way. Now, what also makes it interesting is they've taken pictures in this particular area. And there's stones that do make their way across the desert sands. But you notice that isn't what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that the rock was with them spiritually. The rock was with them always. The rock was always present with them. Meaning Christ. As he has stated so clearly, Christ never departs, Christ never leaves, Christ is always with them. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what makes the event, you see, in Numbers chapter 20, where they run out of water. So pivotal, so important. Because, you see, we'd run into a problem, would we not, if we said, well, the rock followed them all the way, and the rock's giving water. Why then, in Numbers chapter 20, do they have no water? That wouldn't make any sense. But they had water. Because they had Christ. But you see, they turned from that. They again, okay, not look to the Lord. That's where Moses explodes his temper and strikes the rock once again. But it's the spiritual rock that was always present. See, and that's what Paul is emphasizing here to these Corinthians. Christ is always present. That which he provides, the strength, the salvation, the hope, the assurance, the peace. Even in the midst of the situation in which you are living, Christ is present. He is with you. That's why we sing, church is one foundation. It's Jesus Christ our Lord. In the midst of all of the battles and all of the struggles that the church is under at the present time, Christ is not left. Christ is present. Christ is with us. And so he uses these things that we find in verses 1 through 4 to say to the Corinthians, these are examples to you. These are given. Those things were recorded back there in the book of Exodus. For your instruction. Not just for a nice collection of stories, but that you and I and the people of the church of Corinth might be instructed by that living, breathing word of God. Well, what is it that that these four things were to be examples of? What was God trying to teach by those examples? By those four things that Paul is listing here. Well, there are three that are indicated in this passage. One, verse six. These things took place. Once again, these things, verses one through five. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil. As they did. As I sought to do this morning how often when we find ourselves in Israelite situations we act like Israelites even though we have this work we act so similar to these people, our grumbling our complaining, our quarreling and yet Paul says wait a minute, wait a minute Look at what happened. Look at these events. Look at the way that God provided. Look at the way God cared for them. Look at the way God delivered them. Look at the way that God blessed them. Look at the way that God enfolded them within his covenant. Look at this. And what did they do? In response to all that God had given them, what did they do? They desired evil. Paul says, now these things have been recorded. These are written down so that you do not behave like Israelites. So that you and I, faced with the difficult situations of life that come upon us, do not respond like Israelites. That we do not have those desires to turn from God. See, he uses two examples then from that this this going after evil what did they do the two examples that paul then give one verse 7 the idolatry of the golden calf do not be idolaters as some of them were as it was written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play that's a reference back to the golden calf what were they doing they were impatient Moses wasn't coming back. And they're impatient. You ever get impatient with God? God not working on your timetable? God not working fast enough? Things not happen quickly enough in your life? You think there ought to be like a speed up dial and things ought to go a little bit quicker? And so you get impatient with God, you get angry with God, and you know what happens for some? They turn from God. They say, well, if God isn't going to make things happen quickly, then I'm going to go to other sources. I'm going to go to other means. I'm going to try other things. I'm not going to rely upon the Lord my God. No, I'm going to look other ways. That's what the Israelites are doing there at Mount Sinai with their golden calves. Here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. And they followed it up with, Sexual immorality. will be like the Israelites. Who desired evil. And then he includes the next one. Okay, Verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. What's he referencing? He's referencing to that which happened by the advice of Balaam to Balak. And the people of Israel are drawn away from the Lord their God to worship Baal, the Baal of Peor. And it's referenced, remember the incident? There's the man who openly takes this Moabite woman into his tent, right? And then Phineas comes along with his spear and drives it through the both of them. Prior to that, 23,000 died under the judgment of God. Now why are they there? Why are they doing that? Because they're not satisfied with God. They don't like God's rules. They don't like God's regulations. They want the freedom that Baal brings. They want the expression sexually that Baal brings. You talk about a picture of the society in which we are a part of today. What happens? Some go along with that. Even within the church. Flying their rainbow flags. Seeking to communicate that you can live whatever lifestyle you want to live and you can come and be a part of our church. Paul says, look back to what happened in Exodus. Look back to the blessings that God gave these people and do not be like the Israelites who desired evil, following after this idolatry. But then he goes on, nor must we, verse 9, put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, Numbers chapter 21. And then he goes on, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer, Numbers chapter 16. Over and over, look at at how he comes back. These things happen to them as an example, but they're written down for us. If this is the way God dealt with his covenant people of old. He's going to deal with us in the same way. He too had delivered them. He too had brought them out. They're there for our instruction. These things. What? Rephidim. him. Happened so that we might be instructed to look to the Lord always. To look to the Lord only. To look to the Lord expectantly. To look to the Lord with great hope. To look to the Lord patiently. To wait upon the Lord. And to draw upon Him. Not to turn. Not to turn to do evil. But there is a second lesson. That Paul through the spirit is telling us. That we need to heed. Verse 12. Therefore. That's how we know we're at a, a point in which Paul's making a point. Therefore. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Paul is saying we have to be careful in this. This is is not some sort of of way in which we go, well, we're not doing any of the things the Israelites did. We're not worshipping any calves. We're not worshipping the Baal of Peor. We're we're not in an open rebellion like Korah. We're, We're not doing any of those things. Paul says, here's the second lesson you need to learn. Be careful. Be careful that we don't become so prideful, so arrogant that we think we are incapable of that sin. Oh, we see it in others. Yes, the world over there. Yes, those liberal churches over the air. Yes, it's all over there. And we think somehow that we're on some pillar and we cannot fall. And there is no way in which we shall ever engage in these things. Careful, lest you fall. See, we may say, I would never do what the Israelites did at Rephidim. Man, having having known what God did as he led us out of Egypt and all those blessings that God had done, knowing that he healed that water at Merah, when I came to Rephidim and there was no water, I wouldn't have complained. No, I would have looked to the Lord my God. Be careful lest you fall. Understand the sinfulness of your own heart. Understand. See, Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. There are some in the church who are being drawn back into that evil life. And there are probably some that are going, not me, never do it. Never going to happen. Paul says, be careful lest you fall. Become so self-confident. Don't become so prideful. Don't become so self-righteous that you think in some way this is beyond you. Be humble. Be humble before the Lord your God. Realize what your heart, even with the remnants of sin that is left in it, is capable of doing. And plead with the Lord that you might stay faithful to him. And always continue to look to him, not to yourself. Third, these things are examples. One, that we're not to desire evil. Two, that we're not to become prideful. Three, verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Lesson number three that we are to learn. Flee from idolatry. Only in your notes, it's going to say this. Learn the lesson of distinctions. That we understand distinctions. We live in a very, very gray world. We live in a world in which Satan would have us overlap good and evil. Now, did you follow the example Paul gives? The example Paul is giving is this to the church at Corinth. He's saying when you meet together on the Lord's Day, you come together and you drink The cup of blessing. You have communion. You eat at the Lord's table. That's why as I was looking at this and thinking about where this fell, I I just couldn't, I I, I kept wanting to go back to something in the Westminster Confession. And the more I read it, it's like, we just had communion. It's like, no, we got to come back to this. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because we're one bread. We are many are one body for we all partake of that one bread. But then he says this. What the paragraph goes on to say is, understand that. You sit at the Lord's table. But the problem is, there are other feasts happening in Corinth as well. There's feasts to all sorts of gods. If I sit at the Lord's table on the Lord's day, can I go to the feast of Diana on Monday? If I sit at the Lord's table on the Lord's day, drink the cup of blessing, eat the bread. Can I then go to the house of demons? and participate in the feast with demons? Paul says no. Learn the lesson of Refedim. You have but one source of life. Why would you go to the table of demons? Why would you go there? What's the point? What's the reason? Why would you go to that feast? Why would you participate in that feast? What is that God going to give you? What is that God that is no God? What is that God that is nothing? What is that sacrifice that is nothing? What is that food that is nothing? That is on that table? It is nothing, nothing, nothing. It's empty. It will do nothing for you. Why would you go there? When you've been at the table of the Lord and to take the cup of blessing is to participate in the blood of Christ. To eat the bread as we did this morning is to participate in the body of Christ. See, even though they live in this horrific culture Paul is still saying, you have to live distinctly. Don't be absorbed by the culture. Don't be absorbed by the world around you. Don't, don't just go over there and think, well, what's the harm? I, I you know, eat on the Lord's Day over here. Tuesday I go to this house of demons. Right? Now this would be real easy. Right? If along Alpine Avenue or 28th Street, there actually was some house of demons. Right? And there actually was some God that you bowed down to or whatever. And there were all sorts of horrible things that took place on the inside of that building. All sorts of sexual immorality. Oh, wait. Yeah, it's probably not called the house of demons, but they exist, don't they? Why? What's that going to give you? What more than the rock of Rephidim do you need? What more to satisfy your thirst? What more to satisfy your hunger than Christ? Go back to Rephidim. There, that rock that was struck, Christ supplies all. Learn the lesson. These things happened as an example and they're recorded and written down for you and I to apply to our lives today. Point two, the limits of our freedom. It, it's almost as if you, one might think Paul is switching topics. I, I don't think so in verse 23. I, I think Paul is carrying this on. I think Paul is answering an argument. I, I think Paul, and, and oftentimes New Testament writers are doing this, right? They're anticipating the argument. They're anticipating somebody coming back and saying, but Paul, we're free in Christ. Why are you putting all these restrictions upon us? Why are you saying we, we can't go to the house of demons? We're Christians. Isn't, isn't everything we do for the glory of God? So if you think about the question that Paul is anticipating, but it's not really Paul, right? It's the Holy Spirit. Then this, this next section is not so separate. I've told you before, I, I really dislike when our Bibles make these big paragraph shifts. Like, oh, this has nothing to do with the previous thing. right? The text ought to tell us that, not some editor. So if we push this back up, then all of a sudden, this begins to take notice. And and we begin to realize what Paul is answering. He's saying, yes, we have freedom. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. But we have to understand the limits on that freedom. First of all, he gives us the principle. All things are lawful. That is correct. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In other words, there are things we can do that, yes, we may do as Christians. We may participate in as Christians because we are free in Christ. We are free from from all of these legal requirements of that ceremonial law that's probably in the background of this text. Yes, we're free from that. But, being free from it doesn't mean that it's always a good thing to do. It doesn't mean that it's always something that that we would say is helpful. Or is something that is building up of our own faith, of our own strength, or of our fellow believers. So there's the principle, right? Right? All things are lawful, but not everything is helpful. We have to remember that. We have to apply that. Yes, I can do this as a Christian, but is it helpful to do this as a Christian? Yes, I may do this as a Christian, but is this going to build me up? Is this going to build others up? Is this going to build my family up? Is this going to build my wife up? Is this going to build my children up? I may do so, I may participate. But will it build up? See, there there is a limit there upon the freedom that we have. That's the principle. Then Paul gives to us an example. Now, I hope I don't lose you in the midst of the example, okay? And and don't make the example the principle. Paul's just providing an example of this. He says, okay, you're walking through the meat market. There hangs a piece of meat and you go, that looks like a good side of beef. I like that one. I see some prime rib in there. Yeah, that's good. Okay, I'll take that piece of meat. You can do so. It's okay to do. It's all right. Well, what if that piece of meat had been one that had been offered at one of these feasts of demons? It's okay. You don't know that. You're unaware of that. You you don't know that that, it's just a piece of meat, it's just hanging there. You're just purchasing a piece of meat. And you don't need to ask. (laughs) You don't need to ask, Mr. Meat Man, was this used for sacrifice? That is not a requirement. That is not something you have to do. You are not forced into having to ask that question. Oh, I don't know, I'm so scared as a Christian if I should buy that piece of meat. I'd better ask Mr. Meat Man if that was sacrificed to demons because I don't want to eat anything that was sacrificed to demons. Paul says, a demon's nothing. A god is nothing. Their sacrifice is nothing. If it's a nice hunk of meat, buy the hunk of meat and eat it. But if you ask, if you ask, and he says, oh yes, this was used. In one of our temple sacrifices. Ah, Then you got to turn down the nice piece of meat and walk away and find another one. And maybe learn the lesson not to ask. See, that's what Paul is giving us the permission. The Spirit is giving us the permission to do. This example. Just eat it. But if you know, don't. If you know that's where it came from, don't. In the same way, Paul says, let's suppose you get invited to an unbeliever's home. Okay? You, you've been invited, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to go to this unbeliever. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's somebody that you're thinking, going to plant some seeds of the gospel here tonight. So you go to their home. You sit down. The guy says, here's our food, here's our meat, and whatever else we're having. And um, you sit down, Paul says, eat, go, enjoy, enjoy the food. Have a good meal, have good opportunities to share Christ. But if the guy says, now we're going to have a meal, and what I want you to know is this. I want you to know that this nice hunk of meat that is the center place of our table that was used as a sacrifice to one of our gods. What does Paul say to do? He says, thank you very much. I appreciate all the time and effort. I'll just stick to the veggies tonight. As a matter of conscience. Yours? <laughs> no, Paul says not yours. But for their sake. So that you don't draw them into a sin. So that they don't by your participation think. See it's okay to eat meat. That's been sacrificed to an idol. Go into the feast then. Would be okay. Don't for conscience sake. But not yours. Theirs. In order that you might win them for Christ. Third. Third. Because the purpose in all of this is what? Do you see the purpose in this passage? The purpose is that you might be awarded a robe. That looks a lot like a Pharisee's robe. It's the robe that's given to those who are better than others. It's the robe that is given to those who are holier than thou. It's a very distinct robe. It stands out and you stand out in the crowd and people look at you and say, oh, there's one of the holy ones. Is that the purpose? Is that the point? Is that, is that why if, you, if the meat guy says, this was sacrificed to an idol, you have to say, sorry, I can't purchase that. If you're at the dinner table with, with an unbeliever and he says, this was meat sacrificed to, to an idol and you have to say, sorry... Can't eat that. Is is that, so you look like you're better than him? No. Paul says, you do this for the glory of God. Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the reason. That's the point. You want God to receive the glory. You want God to receive the honor. You want God to be honored. That's the purpose. That's why when we go back to all things are lawful but not all things are helpful. Why would we want to apply that? So that God would be glorified. Why would we want to apply all things are lawful but not all things build up? Why would we want to apply that? For God to be glorified. That's the purpose. That's the aim. That the glory belongs to Him. Oh, have we heard that tonight? Have we sang that tonight? Right? Makes a great song. It's a gorgeous song. It's a beautiful, thrilling, spiritual, uplifting song. Now we have to live it. All the glory belongs to Christ. So so we don't do this for ourselves. It's not so our name gets in the newspaper. It's not so we get some followers on Twitter or Twitter or whatever it is we're doing. So the glory belongs to God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not for my own advantage, but that of many, they may be saved. See, the means that Paul uses, the means that Paul applies, is he tries to please. He is not trying to be offensive. He is not trying to be controversial. That is not the means of bringing the gospel. We don't provoke people. We don't antagonize people. We don't poke at people. Listen to the word. Listen to what God says. How are we to live? Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. This is the means. By which we are called to go out into this world. Now by preaching Christ. To bringing Christ. Do we become an offense? Yes. But the offense is the cross. Not us. The offense is Christ. Not us. See I can conduct myself in such a way. That I am a stench in this world. And I could say. Well you see I'm just bringing them the gospel. No, I was an offense. I was a stench in this world. And I'm not called to be a stench. I'm called to bring the gospel. And the gospel, (laughs) it's a stench enough. It's offensive enough. It will antagonize enough. It will prod and it will poke that conscience enough. I don't need to. The gospel does it. And one might say, well, that's a pretty foolish way of evangelism. Yup. That's the foolishness of the preaching of the cross of Christ. But notice what Paul follows it up with. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, this was Christ. Oh, he had his harsh words for those religious leaders, you brood of vipers who warned you of the wrath of God that is to come. But you know what? To a Samaritan woman, there's a cup of cold water. To a demon-possessed gathering, be healed. an imitator of Christ don't be the offense let the gospel be the offense to this world and you and I are to remember Rephidim that all that we need found in Christ and God's people say Father thank you we need this world, word in the midst of the world in which we live in the world so picks pokes and sometimes Lord we just want to retaliate like the world we just want to get back we need to remember the word, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Help us, Father, to simply bring the message of the gospel and all the offense that that brings. For when you bring the message of the gospel, you call men to repentance. When you bring the message of the gospel, you bring Christ alone. And when you bring the message of the gospel, You bring a message of holiness that comes through the work of the Spirit in hearts and lives. Ah, Father, help us to hear your word. Help us to humble ourselves to it. But help us to go forth in this world as the imitators of Christ, bringing the message, the gospel, Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. And God's people say. Amen.